Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Ben Allen will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Hi, everyone. This is Benjamin Allen. Last episode, we saw Luke's masterful approach to the early church miracle at the Beautiful Gate and his use of his cultural background to convey the ongoing reclaiming of the nations in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this section, Peter explains the meaning of the miracle to the crowd. It further explains that Jesus truly is raised from the dead as Lord and King, the true Messiah of Israel. Let's read the text. This is Acts 3.11-26. through 26. I'm reading out of the ESV. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, saying, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at this, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as you did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus." whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people." And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. End of reading. So Peter, in this speech, builds on his previous sermon, specifically on the person and work of Christ, namely the name of Jesus is mentioned. Something of note is that this speech begins and ends with a reference to God's promises to the patriarchs of Israel. 
Let's tackle verses 11 through 16 first. It's interesting to note that when Peter and John went to Solomon's portico, the gospel tradition has this as where Jesus is said to have taught as well in John 10, 23. And so it seems that like that was the favorite place for Jerusalem Christians to meet. Verse 12 matches Acts 2.22, where Peter says, Men of Israel, he uses this beginning line in his sermons. And so in verse 13, Peter introduces a familiar theme to us from when George talked about in his uh, second chapter episode, declaring that God has accomplished his purposes through Jesus, despite the opposition of his people. This paradox is repeated and developed more fully in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, but God is described in familiar terms as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, using a phrase from Exodus 3, 6, which says, and he said, I am the God of your father, the son of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, but Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Highlighting God's relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this way, Peter is recalling God's covenant with them and his faithfulness in fulfilling his promises to them. And it was the God of Israel's forefathers who glorified his servant Jesus. So this seems to be an allusion to Isaiah 52.13, where part of it says, my servant will be highly exalted, a verse which introduces the so-called fourth suffering servant song from Isaiah 52.13 through Isaiah 53.12. The glorification of the servant refers to his exaltation over the nations and their kings uh, after terrible humiliation and suffering. Something I, I will point out is that especially in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel, or excuse me, in, in the prophetic writings of Isaiah, we see this theme of a suffering servant. I'm not going to get into that, that theme here, but just know that it is a major theme of the Gospel of Mark, and Peter is picking up here. And if you remember from my Mark class, uh, Mark was the... Uh, was was the speechwriter for Peter. He was the writer for Peter. So it makes sense how uh, Luke would be drawing upon this, especially as we're seeing it here. I'm sure he was spending time with Peter. I'm sure he was spending time with Mark. So uh, yeah, let's dig into verses 15 and 16. Uh, in Peterson's Pillar Commentary, he says, By virtue of his death and resurrection, Jesus is the originator of new life for others. As the argument in verse 16 through 21 goes on to suggest, his life-giving power has been powerfully illustrated in the restoration of life to the lame man's limbs. Although Peter accuses his audience of putting to death the one sent to bring new, them new life, he proclaimed that God raised him from the dead. God stands in strong contrast to you in verse 14. And, and he goes on further to say that God's saving purposes were not frustrated by Israel's rebellion, but by were fully established. By a mighty reversal, he brought his servant Jesus, the holy and righteous one, from death to life. The distinctive role of the apostles was to be witnesses of this. Their charge was to bear witness to the person of Jesus and the fact, and to the fact and significance of his resurrection, end quote. Uh, Peter is essentially restating his argument from the day of Pentecost. Uh, 
As Messiah, Jesus fulfilled the role of the suffering servant and became the means by which God consummated or consumed his covenant promises to the patriarchs of Israel. Moreover, he is the author of life who has made resurrection life possible for all who trust in him. Healing was not accomplished by the power or character of the apostles, but the name of the one whom God raised from death made strong, the man who was lame from birth. The name of Jesus is not a magical formula or an absolute power that operates apart from the person it represents. It is, in fact, a dynamic personal symbol of Jesus's continuing presence and power on earth. Although ascended to heaven, awaiting, we now learn, a return to earth at the time of the universal restoration, as, as well, we'll see later on. From verses 17 through 21, Peter continues and is beginning his call for a response to his claims. He challenges them to repent his audience so that their sins might be forgiven. He brings to remembrance the Old Testament idea of the suffering servant motif in Isaiah 42, 49, and 52 through 53. Peter's promise in 319 is closely connected with the claim that the Messiah had to suffer. This is, of course, in connection to uh, a connection point to Isaiah 53. Now, let's uh, get to this phrase, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The idea that this offer of forgiveness is new and decisive, having eschatological significance, is brought out by the second purpose clause, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. No verbal parallels to the expression times of refreshing have been found in Scripture. So what is he referring to? Um, This may refer to the noun that is found in Exodus 8.15. This is in the Greek Greek Old Testament, also called the Septuagint. It says, but when... uh, uh, But says, let me just pull this up where I have this, so that way we aren't confused. Um, Exodus 8.15, sorry about that. But when Pharaoh saw that a respite has come about, his heart became heavy, and he did not listen to him, just as the Lord had said. So it describes the relief from God's judgment experienced by the Egyptians. Some have argued that times of refreshing refers to the messianic salvation in all of its fullness, which God will send speedily if Israel repents. This involves taking uh, the, the next clause, quote, and that he may send the Messiah as a complementary statement about the same event. But we see the argument in 1921 is cumulative, so it's piling on, implying that these seasons of refreshment occur in an intervening period, before Christ's return, the consummation of God's plan in a renewed creation. And so even now, those who turn to him for forgiveness may enjoy in advance some of the blessings associated with the coming era. Perhaps these things of, or excuse me, these times of refreshment are more specifically moments of relief during the time men spend in waiting for the blessed day, a comparison with Peter's promises in chapter 2, verse 38, 
it's saying that the the Holy Spirit may be the one who brings this refreshment. And so Peter may be describing the subjective effect of the gift of the Spirit for believers, whose presence anticipates and guarantees the full inheritance God promises his children. Like it says in Ephesians 1.14, who is the Holy Spirit of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now let's finish up this episode with the last five verses. Peter has given positive reasons for repenting, but now he provides a negative or threatening counterpart. His scriptural quotation combines words from Deuteronomy 18, 15, 19, Leviticus 23 through 29, excuse me, Leviticus 23, verse 29. And so over time, these verses add messianic overtones. This is referring to the prophet of the Old Testament that would come after Moses. And eventually through time, specifically in the Second Temple time period when Jesus was around um, there in Jerusalem, it ended up having messianic overtones. Peter envisions Jesus as that eschatological prophet because he brings the ultimate revelation of God's will and leads God's people to final salvation. And so Jesus functions for Israel now as Moses did at the time of the Exodus. By their responses to the resurrected Jesus, Peter's audience will show whether they belong to the true Israel or not. In this episode, Peter gave his second sermon in the book of Acts. His placement of Jesus within his speech and his call for the Jews to repent are all part of the end times plan for God's purposes to be fulfilled. Thank you. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.